Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. The year is 1888. Queen Victoria is on the throne, Jack the Ripper is on the prowl, and the English Football League system had just been invented. Fast forward 132 years, and Chris Wilder's Sheffield United have officially made the worst start to any English top flight season ever. The Blades' loss to Manchester United keeps them rooted to the bottom with just one point, but there was no lack of effort in the Premier League last night. A sixth straight-away win for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, meanwhile, and now some are suggesting Manchester United are in the title picture. We'll pick the bones out of that game, as well as Aston Villa's 0-0 draw with Burnley. Plus, we'll take a look at the Premier League names included in this year's FIFA awards. Also, our final floodlight focus of 2020 is on the agenda. Leicester City fan Jamie Derry has the honour of closing out the year, where we'll discuss the high-flying foxes. I'm Niall McCorn. Alongside me today, it's Ian Brannan. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good, yes. Good to be here. Good to have you here. What would your life have been like back in 1888, do you reckon? Uh, well, if I was around in 1888, undoubtedly um, it would involve wearing a top hat, a monocle and, and riding to wherever I would be going <laughs> on, a, on a penny farthing. I mean, you know, being the uh, face of Monopoly as well, yeah, by the sounds yeah, of it. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Either that or, uh, or, or a scene from, um, from A Christmas Carol, you know, maybe one of the characters there. In the festive spirit, as always, Ian, I love it. Uh, yeah. And also alongside us, a man who it will probably take another 132 years before he grows any hair back, Steve McNaughton, right? Steve, what, the, what what was all that about? Do <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, you're probably right. Um, you know, you'd look but, quite yeah. good with a monocle, Steve. That's I why a top hat's handy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> but yeah, nice to be here anyway. <laughs> Sorry for the abuse, Steve. First up, yeah, I know it's right, a Friday. You know, first up, yeah. Looking yeah. forward to the weekend. Liverpool are top of the league, uh, so you yeah. can't you can't be too uh, upset. Um, this is actually my last podcast of the year, so. First up, thanks for all of your contributions, guys, this year. Um, unbelievably, we've had more than 1.2 million downloads of the podcast this calendar year, which is absolutely awesome. So thanks to everyone who's downloaded the podcast, who sent in a question, who shared it to their friends, who's followed us on social media. Any way you've been involved, if you've left a review or anything like that, we really appreciate your support. And uh, hopefully you can come back to us all throughout the Christmas period and into 2021 as well, because, of course, we are the only daily Premier League podcast with a new show every single day of the season. So much appreciated. First off, we're going to start at Bramall Lane, where Sheffield United lost 3-2 to Manchester United in the Premier League last night, which, as we were just discussing, Steve, means that the Blades have officially made the worst start to a top-flight season ever since the Football League pyramid in this country began all the way back in 1888. That's remarkable. 
I mean, there's almost this sort of meme and legend about the Derby County side from 10 or so years ago, which I think secured 9 or 12 points or something like that. It wasn't very many. Well, Sheffield United sat at the bottom of the table, rock bottom, one point after 13 games. And it looks pretty grim for them, doesn't it? Yeah, might as well relegate him now, to be fair, and save everyone an extra fixture. Um, I just <laughs> think that it's, it is an abysmal record. It is a horrendous start for a team that entertained and played some good football last season under Chris Wilder. I, you know, everyone's got a bit of a fondness for, for Sheffield United. Well, I did have before this season, but um, I don't think Chris Wilder's done himself a, a massive amount of favours with some of the stuff he's been saying in the media. Um, interestingly, I've seen that his chairman have said he'll never sack him. Even if they get relegated this season, he's still got a job. And I'm like, wow, that's dangerous. Um, I just think it is a shocking form. And I don't know what the answer is for him because he spent money. Um, obviously, Ryan Bruce to come in, in in summer. He signed Sanderberg from uh, Bruges in this time, you know, January last year. And he paid money for, for Ramsdale from, from Bournemouth. 20 million. And I thought and he was... I thought he was really poor last night. Steve. He was, yeah, I mean, on, if you're bottom of the league, the last thing you need is your goalkeeper making mistakes. Yeah, that on, on United's third goal last night, and don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic move by Manchester United, but mm. that should not have gone in. And I think that there's the vast majority of Premier League keepers stopped that going in, and it's nothing's going right for him. And I think there's obviously a siege mentality going on there, and I just cannot see Sheffield United. You know, pulling off the miraculous and and getting out of this because the rot after thirteen games has as, as well and truly kicked in. And I think, you know, I mean, they're not a million miles away from if they win the rest of their games, it's still not been enough points to keep them up. I don't think. And it's um, yeah, very very difficult for them. And I think it's back down to the championship to regroup and and try and bounce back. Um, but you know, they'll probably back him in January. They'll probably throw a bit more money at him. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how that plays out over the transfer window in January. I mean, last night after the game, Ian, Chris Wilder was saying that he was happy with the energy and the effort of the players, something which he didn't see in their previous game before this one against Southampton, in which they also lost. And having watched the game um, from start to finish last night, I can say I agree with Chris Wilder. Those Sheffield United players were trying, they were running, they were giving it their all, but Manchester United was simply too good for them. The players that Manchester United had were better than the players that Sheffield United had. And I think that was evident uh, in the scoreline. I mean, Steve doesn't think that they're going to stay up. Uh, I mean, they did give it everything last night. Is it just a matter of they don't have good enough players to stay in the league? I think they've been unlucky uh, at points in the season. There are games that they've had that you could have argued that they they should have won, but obviously they didn't, mm. so that, they can't really change that. Um, as you said, Chris Wilder did say that he was he was pleased with the effort, and he said he wasn't pleased with the effort at the weekend, but he, he was much happier with the performance against Manchester United. Hey, look, they're playing mm. against Man United, who, who are a very strong team, and you could argue that... Sheffield United versus Manchester United, you know, looking at this, taking everything else that's happened so far in the season out of it and looking at the score saying 3-2, you'd say, well, you know, look, Sheffield United had a decent go there and, and they didn't do too badly. I mean, this is not an average season, though, and, and this is something we've mentioned before. There, there are a lot of different factors playing into this current season that are going to be um, different come the end. And even though they've had the worst start since Victorian times, uh, when, when uh, you know the only record of the matches is, is a painting on a wall. Um, 
they're still only eight points adrift. <laughs> Tapestry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're still only eight points adrift of, of, of relative safety. So, you, you know, previously teams have maybe been 16 points adrift by now, getting into Christmas, and you could say one point on the board, you know, minus 18 goal difference, whatever it is that they've got at this moment, that they are, you know, you can cut them uh, done. And you can, you've always said that the team at the bottom at Christmas, uh, you can always guarantee done. Everybody, I think, would say, you know, any sane person would say that probably Sheffield United are, are doomed. But I don't know. You know, get on a decent run. Anything can happen in this league. Anybody can beat anybody else, as, as we know. Particularly this season, where the games are coming thick and fast. The teams in Europe are not performing. You know, even Arsenal are only thirty to one to go down. You know, anything could happen this year. And um, I, I'm not ruling them out yet. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not committing them to the championship just yet. It looks that way, <laughs> but I think. I think there's life in the old dog yet. And I think Chris Wilder, again, you know, they're not going to sack him. He's going to be there. They can't sack him. He's got a four-year contract. And um, they've said they're not going to sack mm. him. And he's, he's and who? And we, we mentioned this the other day. Even Big Sam's off the market now. I mean, who, who are you going to put in there instead of Chris Wilder? <laughs> well, they do love him at Sheffield mm. United. And I am a big fan of Chris Wilder. And it's nice to see, you know, managers given a bit of backing from the board especially in tough times because Chris Wilder I think has earned a bit of cash in terms of you know he's, he's earned a bit of leeway in terms of them playing poorly um, but then again we often see it don't we where board members and chief executives come out and back their manager and a week later they're <laughs> yeah. on the hunt for a new one because that's just a funny way that football works um, I guess a prime example would be Southampton another team that plays in red and white stripes you know they could easily have sacked Haas and Hurtle after they got whacked 9-0 by Leicester they decided to keep him and you know they've not really looked back since so the odds for Sheffield United to stay in the Premier League 4-1 to which is actually um, a lot shorter than I thought it would be I thought they would be up and around the 10 mark considering they're eight points adrift but as we've said this season and as we said so many times on the podcast anything can happen in the Premier League and it certainly looks like um, there's a real chance they could stay up if they can get on a run at least that's what the bookies seem to think um chris wilder said that they've not really taken their big moments this season the premier league is about big moments and it was a big moment last night for dean henderson the manchester united goalkeeper who Ole Gunnar solskjaer picked in front of david de gea which was a statement in itself but the norwegian said that he had penciled in dean henderson to play this game from the beginning of the season pretty much and obviously going back to an old stomping ground of his he was on loan last season at Sheffield United, Dean Henderson, and the season before that. How do you think he did, Steve, against his former club? Because he did make a pretty bad mistake early doors. Yeah, I think what's weird is that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said, I did pencil in him to, to play this game. I decided that when it come to it, he was going to start. I mean, but how random's that? Um, but I think that the when, when they went, obviously McGoldrick scored the goal after I think four or five minutes or something last night. Um, my first impressions were, oh, that's a shocking pass from Maguire. Um, you know, to it, almost like a bit of a hospital pass for the goalkeeper. Um, and if a goalkeeper isn't particularly adapt to playing with the ball at his feet, like like a lot of goalkeepers in the Premier League are, there's only you know two that I can think of that do it exceptionally well. 
Um, I just think he was put in a really difficult position for that first goal, but his head didn't drop, and I thought he made some good saves after that, and 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 he played quite well because he he could have literally you know got gone into himself there, and and um, it could have been a, a lot worse than it was. But good character shown. He's a good keeper. I still believe he's got to leave Manchester. United. I know he signed a big deal in summer, but he's got to leave Manchester United for his career and his and his England prospects. I think because. You know, playing second fiddle isn't isn't going to get him to the Euros and stuff like that. So, um, good mm. keeper, um, very very talented, and I just think that's just one of them things. Even your Edisons and Allisons of this world, you know, have made mistakes like that before. So he'll dust himself down, he'll get on with it, and he'll, and he'll go again when called upon. Yeah, it's part of being a goalkeeper, Steve, isn't it? You make mistakes, yeah. and because it's you know the only player with that responsibility and people say it's a lonely position I think your goalkeeping mistakes get magnified tenfold than someone who you know makes a foul in the middle of the park for instance Sheffield United were really throwing the kitchen sink at Man United in the last five minutes last night and Ethan Ampadu who's only 20 years old made a stupid foul in the middle of the park and that allowed Manchester United to re-seize control of the game for the last two or three minutes and that Sheffield United momentum completely stalled. But that's just a bit of inexperience from him. And I think you'll see that from goalkeepers. Um, it's natural that in that position, you are going to make mistakes from time to time. And it's how you bounce back. And absolutely right. I think that, that Dean Henderson did bounce back last night from that mistake. He doesn't make too many. He didn't make too many during his time at Sheffield United. But Steve thinks that he should uh, maybe leave Old Trafford in to try and find some regular game time. Reminds me a lot of when Chelsea had the same conundrum about five or six years ago where Petr Cech was their first choice goalkeeper and understandably so, he's got the record for the most clean sheets in the Premier League. But Thibaut Courtois had been on loan at Atletico Madrid and done brilliantly and he was coming through and he basically threatened to leave unless he was getting first team football and that kind of forced Chelsea's hand to play him as their first choice keeper, relegating Cech to the bench and then Cech was carted off to Arsenal. So do you think we'll see a similar situation with Henderson and De Gea in the near future? Uh, it's possible because, I mean, De Gea's been around a little bit now, hasn't he? I think Dean Henderson, of the last season, had a pretty good season with Sheffield United. You know, he had um, a full season, played, I think, pretty much every game, 36 Premier League um, appearances. Didn't really make any major mistakes. Um, I think he only made one critical mistake, uh, I think I read, for, in, during last season that sort of led to a goal, you know, a spill that led to a goal. Yeah, Whereas It was against Liverpool, it went through his legs, that's I the remember one, yeah. it quite clearly, actually. That's the one, yeah. Mm. And then and then he's had um, three appearances for Man United and a, and a, and a horror show <laughs> yesterday. But, you know, as, as we said mm. there, you know, these things will happen if you're a goalkeeper, you know, and there's a bit of probably, uh, you know, nerves uh, involved, perhaps, when he's playing against uh, his ex-team and, and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't yeah. know. But, yeah, it's a tricky tricky one because I think when you get these big teams like Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, Man City particularly, you know, they become kind of like talent hoovers, don't they? They, they? they get all the best players, but on the match day, you can only play 11 of them. And it, it creates that competition, fair enough, but it also stifles the progression of, of the younger lads to, to maybe come through. And particularly in goalkeeping, because there's only one. You know, it's not like midfield where you could play four or five players uh, at once in, in a match. You know, with a goalkeeper, you, you've, you're, you're pretty limited <laughs> to uh, into who you're going to play. Mm. Um and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the situation at Man United is, where, where how they see De Gea. I mean, he's had one or two periods where they thought they were going to let him go. He wanted to go to uh, pastures new in, in you know in previous times, and that's never come about. But um, mm. 
Would he, he signed a new deal as well, yeah. and it was big money. Yeah, so it uh, seems a bit weird for like within the twelve months to him to put pen to paper on a new contract for like three hundred and fifty k a week, or possibly yeah. even more, and then be dropped to second it's, choice. It's, it's, Just it's, wonder if it's a smart use of cash. It's, yeah, it's going to create a, a problem somewhere, as you say. I mean, either either Henderson's going to want to go and play somewhere to get more regular first team action, or or uh, or De Gea's going to want out because he's going to be pushed down to number two. So you've got that tricky situation to balance. And yeah, he would flourish probably if he had more. First First team experience, especially with you know World Cups and, and Euros coming up and thick and fast and all these. And he wants to get into the England team, and you know England mm. could do with uh, a, a better selection of goalkeepers. That's for sure. I think he certainly um, will get himself in the shop window. It's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you want to play for Man United. I'm sure you know. I'm sure the, the mm. kudos of playing for Man United is as, as anybody would, perhaps uh, not Steve, but <laughs> you <No>. know, <laughs> uh, of, of saying you're a Man United player. It's it's that thing. Do you want to say you're a Man United player on the bench, or do you want to say you're a I don't know. A Southampton player in the first team mm. it's tricky one yeah d- certainly and I think as well with Jordan Pickford being dropped by Carlo Ancelotti in the midweek game for Everton against Leicester City um, and Everton winning and keeping a clean sheet I mean that England spot now looks more and more up for grabs particularly if Pickford yeah, isn't yeah. getting first team games on the regular now at Everton so certainly Dean Henderson and probably Nick Pope at Burnley who kept a clean sheet last night too and we'll talk about that Burnley game shortly um, they'll probably be eyeing that three Lions number one jersey Paul Pogba played well last night, Steve. I thought probably his best performance of the season. I know you have to temper it with saying you're playing a side who have got one point in the bottom of the league. But, I mean, it was the first time in a while that Solskjaer's decided to play Pogba, Martial, Rashford and Fernandes in the same side. Uh, I think Greenwood played as well. So, you know, it's taken Solskjaer a while and he's rotated a fair amount of times. But it just shows that if you give Pogba the tools to do a decent job, he can do it for you. Yeah, I think that that's right, and I also think there's if if he turns up with with the right mindset, he can do a decent job for you as well. And I think um, some of that passing last night was was exquisite. He had a really good game last night, and I think we've seen shades of the Paul Pogba that was at Juventus, you know, previous to him signing at United. He looked a proper baller last night, and I know it's Sheffield United on a Thursday night in December, and all the uh, you know the 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 puns and memes that come off the back of that, but. Um, I thought he was really, really good, especially for um, Martial's. Was it Martial's goal where he did that like no look pass? Yeah, was yeah. it? Um, just, um, he's just fantastic. And I think um, it's a funny one, really, because I think I'm not a hundred percent convinced that he that he totally respects Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm I'm not convinced that that dynamic is there, mm. um, which is weird. Not because he was. One. Um, Paul Pogba's youth team coach when he was in his early coaching days, Solskjaer. So, I mean, you yeah. think they would have a good relationship. But then again, if you did and you had that respect, you wouldn't have your agent coming out behind the scenes and making snide comments. Exactly, exactly. He wouldn't be letting his um, uh, his agent run right the way he is and talking about how unhappy he is at the club the night before they play RB Leipzig in the, you know, in the, in the um, Champions League. Mm. And because that had a really destabilising effect, the time of that I think had a massive impact on, on on that result. Because obviously they were quite unlucky in the end not to get that third goal and get the draw that would have took them into the knockout stages. But I just think that the problem with Paul is he's damaged goods for me. Mm. He comes with a lot of baggage, and there's a lot of extracurricular stuff that goes on. Yeah, no doubt in his ability. You know, as we've seen last night, and. You know, as long as they don't do it against uh, Liverpool, I, you know, I think he needs to put more displays in like that because I think, you know, 
United uh, are in good form at the minute and I think, you know, they're putting a bit of a run together and, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, they are the luckiest team, I think, in the Premier League in terms of penalties and VAR decisions and everything. But I think that um, if they win their game in hand, they they are they're in the race for it. And I think, you know, looking at the the league table, they could be, you know, the one, the surprise package of the season, really, that do push Liverpool because I think... You know, Man City are, are are not in great form, and United have have um, won five and drawn one in the last mm. six, and they're putting a bit of a run together. And um, it's going to be a watch to space because I think there'd be nothing better than the Liverpool Man United title race with Liverpool pipping them. <laughs> I feel like uh, Manchester United fans would say the same about your team, Steve, about them being the luckiest team in the Premier League. But there we go. That's just the nature of the modern football rivalry, and uh, I wouldn't change that for the world. I think you're right. Seeing the two juggernauts yeah. of the English game going toe-to-toe with the Tottenham's and Chelsea's thrown into the mix as well. It's an old-school title race, isn't it? When, you know, yeah. everyone's kind of got off to a great start in the Grand National and you just don't know who's going to be in and around it come that final fence. So we'll have to wait and see because yeah. uh, there's a fair few fences coming up over this Christmas period. Interesting that some people are now talking about Manchester United as title challengers. Steve says they might be the outside package, Ian. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said last night that they don't make it easy for themselves. The scoreline was 3-2 and the two Sheffield United goals they scored both really were preventable from a Manchester United perspective. And then Sheffield United got some momentum and but for a Dean Henderson save could have even equalised late on. So is it that reason that Solskjaer mentions the fact that they don't make it easy for themselves? Is that why they probably won't end up top of the pile this season, do you think? Well, I think when when you when you look at any team, uh, is there any team that always makes it easy for themselves? I think if you're a supporter of any club, you can um, you can look at your performance and think, well, we could have we could have done this and we could have done that. I think they are a little bit um, at times nervy. I think, and maybe that's just due to the fact that there is a bit more pressure on them. I mean, they didn't have the greatest start to the season. They've made up a bit of ground, but they've made that ground up, and they're doing fantastically well away from home. They've won um, their last ten consecutive away uh, games I think that's including the back end of last season so they're on a, they're on a roll away from home and that's one of the best records ever in the Premier League um, if not if not the best um, and so they're doing great on that front and if they win their game in hand which they've got they're two points away from the top so of course they're firmly in and around the, the title race uh, you know, two points away from Liverpool it's on it's definitely on and I think now they're probably going to start believing in themselves if they can get through this Christmas period and, uh, and still be in a decent place come, come January I think they're, they will start to believe that they can do it and I think their mindset will change I mean we've said there about Pogba um, he seems to be joining the party as long as uh, his agent doesn't get involved in January and start stirring things up, I think while they keep him playing like they have done, I think they've got a decent chance. But um, of course, the big game coming at the weekend, Manchester United, Leeds United, you know, it could all fall apart for either team. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll obviously preview those games on tomorrow's podcast, Saturday's podcast, which is available just after midnight UK time. We'll be going through all the Premier League fixtures across Saturday and Sunday, previewed for you, as always, by Football Social Daily. As I say before, we're the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. And that's one of the big ones this weekend, as Ian rightly says, Manchester United against Leeds. An old battle for the ages that we've not seen in the Premier League for a long time. It has been a long overdue. I'm very much looking forward to that one. Um, 
and you talk about Paul Pogba uh, and being invited to the party, I don't think I'd want to go to a party with Mino Raiola because he'd be trying to flog you to the highest bidder, wouldn't he, <laughs> behind the scenes, in the smoking area. Yeah. He'd be trying to, trying to flog you off. Yeah. Uh, time for a break now here on Football Social Daily, where afterwards we'll be talking about last night's other fixture, a rather uninspiring Villa nil, Burnley nil. We'll do it next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall. Alongside me, Ian Brennan and Steve McNaughton. And time to chew the fat now over Aston Villa's nil-nil draw with Burnley. Now, this one quite amused me. I only caught the last half an hour or so uh, of this game, Steve. And then I logged on to Twitter, as you do after the game, to kind of get a perspective of what some supporters are saying. Although it isn't always the best barometer, as we always say on this podcast, for uh, everyone's opinions on the match. Villa fans in general were quite angry, actually, at Burnley's style of play. Burnley really frustrated them, but Villa fans can't say that they didn't have the chances to win because, you know, from what I saw of the game, which albeit wasn't the whole thing, they had ample chances to find the back of the net and they just didn't take them. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. I would agree with that that you know sentiment. I have only watched highlights of it. Um, but what you've got to bear in mind is that Villa Park is quite a difficult place to go to because... As a Liverpool fan, I can attest to that this season. Um, you know, and uh, still kind of having weekly sessions to get over that game. Um, you know, but I think you know we, we've got to consider that Burnley are fighting for their lives still. Mm. You know, they are in a position now where you know Sean Dyche is probably saying, "Lads, I've got to set you up so you're really compact. It's really tight. We're really difficult to break down, and and you know we 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 just don't get beat. And I think he he will take." Burnley racking up points from from various draws as long as they don't get beat because I think you know they've got enough about them at Turf Moor to surprise a few people and um, I don't blame Burnley for setting up the way they did last night and yes it's I mean it's a bit kind of like like Jose Mourinho the other night it's a bit anti football there's, there's no doubt about that and it's trying to catch people on the break as well and obviously um, I just think they've got to do that because Burnley are in real difficulty I think and I think they're in danger of, of, of slipping out again and he's just trying to arrest the slump that's happened at the start of the mm. season and I get it uh, Villa like you say had the chances they've got enough about them they've got to be able to unlock the door and I know it's very very difficult when, when teams play like that um, but you know, there's enough talent in that team to do that and I think it will, will be a missed opportunity for Villa last night and maybe the frustration is becoming is coming from the, the the place that they believe they should be beating the likes of Burnley when they come up to Villa Park because I think yeah. when you do get up the table a bit you know there is a certain bit of arrogance that comes with it and you know when the likes of Burnley are coming to your ground if you're in, you know towards the top four top six you do expect to get three points and I think Villa have just got a bit about that about them at the minute. I think you're right. Frustration's the key word. Certainly that was the vibes I was getting in from the Villa fans and you can't blame Burnley much like Steve's just alluded to there. They are down the bottom. They were in the relegation zone going into the game. And Aston Villa have played well and they've created plenty of chances this season, as we saw again last night. I mean, they stuck seven past Liverpool, mm. for goodness sake. Sorry to remind <laughs> you again, Steve. But That never, never happened, that. <laughs> He's blanked it out of his memory. Um, but to be honest, you can understand um, why Burnley are doing what they're doing, but everyone knows what Burnley do, Ian. Uh, uh, Villa fans can get frustrated as they want. I mean, it's not a secret what Sean Dyche is going to turn up and try and do. Yeah, look, Sean Dyche has got no experience of 
playing in the group stages of the Champions League or any experience of playing in the UEFA Cup finals or, uh, or, or winning the Premier League. But what Sean Dyche does have a history of is grinding results out and getting Burnley mm-hmm. out of this mess. He's the longest-serving Premier League manager. He's been there and done it numerous times. He knows how to get past these teams and grind out these all-important results because you know that point could make all the difference come the end of the season. It's going to be very tight down the bottom. Yeah. And, um, and Burnley could do it. I mean, as far as I mentioned the bookies briefly earlier, I mean, the bookies have basically got um, West Brom and, and Sheffield United dead and buried, and it's, it's, it's one of the remaining sides in that sort of bottom six above the, 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 those other two. Um, and so, you know, Burnley are, are, are not dead and buried uh, by a long way, and, and grinding the results out is going to be very important. But that said, Villa, very, very wasteful indeed. 27 shots on goal last night. Now, that is the most yep. shots wow. on goal without scoring of any team in any match for the last two years. So, uh, you know, they, they really need to polish up their finishing. And I say that as a Leeds United fan who, uh, Leeds United, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't want any, any, any other uh, team taking Leeds' crown of being the most wasteful in front of goal. goal but um, I think we've certainly got competition with Villa there. Well, you were wasteful and still managed to score five against Newcastle. Yeah, um, and that's what counts. But, I'm sorry, Marley, but, counts. you know... Phew. <laughs> well, Marley will probably be tearing his hair out if he's listening to this, hey, knowing you, that we are talking about Burnley and their frustrating tactics. Yeah, and you've, you've got to remember that I live in Sunderland. So as a Leeds fan living in Sunderland, it's very important that they should paste any team Newcastle. <laughs> very, very good. Villa nil, Burnley nil. Not the most exciting game to talk about, but as Ian says, plenty of chances for Villa. And as Steve says, Burnley just doing what they have to do to get the job done heading into a busy Christmas period. Now time to talk about the end of year awards. No, not the Football Social Daily end of year awards. The actual FIFA end of year awards. They've been announced over the last 24 hours and there's plenty of Premier League names who have won the prizes. Klopp is the coach of 2020. The Liverpool boss, um, understandably so, was amongst a three-man shortlist for the prize. The other was Hansi Flick at Bayern Munich and also Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds. Now we'll talk about Marcelo Bielsa in a second but first Steve I wanted to ask you about Jurgen Klopp. I'll give you a chance to wax lyrical about him. There was no other winner for this prize, was there? I, as a Liverpool fan and someone who's obviously, you know, follows him a, a great deal, like and I, you know, and everything he does goes out on the social media, so we feel like we <laughs> we know Jurgen, you know, uh, on on a great level. I, I'm surprised. You follow that him got... to Sainsbury's as well. Yeah, Steve. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, yeah, Sainsbury's informed me if anyone's listening. Um, <laughs> but I think that this, I expected Hansi Flick to win it last night because he inherited that that Bayern Munich side, didn't he? When when Kovic was was sacked. And he had them playing stunning football, um, champions of Europe again, which is a really difficult thing to do. And um, so it was a, it was quite a welcome surprise to see, uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp win it again for the second year running. And I think um, obviously that's off the back of us getting the Champions League the year before and, and winning the, the league uh, this year. And he, d- d- I think he is the best coach in world football. I think. You know, we talked about Man United being in a in a title race with Liverpool this year potentially. That him and Solskjaer are a million miles apart from each other. Um, I think tactically, um, Jurgen is is someone who can work teams out, um, and he's, he's, he finds the X factor in, in the team to, you know, more often than not get three points. And I think that um, 
He's also someone this season who seems to be thriving on the adversity that Liverpool are facing, you know, in terms of injuries. And obviously, I know we joke about it, but they've had a lot of VAR decisions go against them this season. Um, some just absolutely bonkers. And I think he's, he's... If Mikel Arteta could have 10% of what he's doing in terms of generating a siege mentality at Liverpool, he'd be a lot more successful. And I think he's got all these things going for him. He's got the mentality right, tactically he's right. He's got the right balance in the squad and the standards are so high at Liverpool um, I think he, I just think he's the whole package and I think mm. if if Liverpool win the title again this season and um, and, and maybe win the Champions League again um, I just think you know we, we could be talking about uh, I think arguably um, you know the, the, the greatest coach in world football for a long time Bayern Munich fans, although Hansi Flick didn't win the Men's Coach of the Year prize, they can take solace in the fact that Robert Lewandowski did win the Men's Player of the Year award for 2020. I think, by the way, if you're getting confused between this and the Ballon d'Or, they are two different things. So Lewandowski, I don't think, has won the Ballon d'Or or the Golden Ball, which is a separate award, but he has been announced as FIFA's Best Men's Player for the Year 2020. And even though I'm sure many of you who listen are well aware of Robert Lewandowski, you probably don't take in that much Bundesliga action. But trust me when I say he has been absolutely unbelievable over the last 12 Phenomenal. months. Um, Jurgen Klopp, Coach of 2020, Men's Coach of 2020, is awarded by FIFA. In the shortlist, along with Hansi Flick and Klopp, Marcelo Bielsa, the Leeds manager. I mean, he was shortlisted and there's no doubt he's a brilliant, brilliant manager. Has he been one of the best three coaches in the last 12 months? I'm not so sure. I'll leave it to you, Ian Brannan, to convince me why I'm wrong. <laughs> Marcelo Bielsa is um, an enigma. He's God. He's, he's, he's God. <laughs> he leads now. They're, uh, they're putting up uh, murals on walls of him. I mean, this is the mm. uh, level of reverence that's, that's not been seen since the likes of Don Revy. And I think, you know, Leeds United go back to, to those days, that the, the great side, as Alan Clark always used to say when I used to do a sports phone-in with him, which is an <laughs> entirely separate chronicle. Um, but, um, but, you know, the, and when you look at the numbers, he is Leeds United's greatest manager since Don Revy and, and probably will be Leeds United's greatest manager by the time he's finished because he's very close to, to, uh, to, to reaching those aims, I think. Um, what Marcelo Bielsa did is what no other man in the last 10 years has been able to do in that manager's hot seat. You've got to remember that Leeds United's success and indeed a good proportion of their success this season is with the same team who were bang average at the bottom lower reaches of, of the championship three years, three years ago. Uh, when he took over, he hasn't really massively invested in the squad. What he has done is nurtured the talent. What he has done is created a philosophy and a way of playing football, not just in the first team, but that goes through every single layer of the club. You know, the under-23s, the under-18s, the under-16s, they all play in the same way. And you're going to start seeing the result of that, that when Leeds put in youth players over time they know what they're doing they're just so well drilled I mean there's, there's, there's a reason that you know Pep Guardiola holds Marcelo Bielsa up in such high esteem but when you look at that side the, the lead side that won the championship uh, in the championship yeah, last season was very much pretty much the same team that could not really you know, grind any sort of results out that was getting beat at, at non-league teams in, in rounds of the FA Cup and is galvanised them into a solid mm. unit, um, brought in this, you know, they call it Bielsa ball. I mean, he's, he's revolutionised the club um, 
off the pitch as well. You know, he's. Do you think that's why he's got the award then, rather than actually on the pitch? Because if you coaching. look at some of the stats on the pitch, yeah. you know, Newcastle United when they got promoted a couple of seasons ago scored more goals than Leeds, got more points than Leeds, and were probably a better team than Leeds in that period. Mm. But is it the fact that, like you mentioned, he's instilled this hope and belief? and squeezed the extra 10% or 20% out of the players who many people thought were bang average, as you say. Yeah. Is, is that why he's been Possibly. shortlisted? I mean, when you look at the stats, I don't have them to hand. Um, I I've been looking for them and I can't find them. But when you look at the stats from last season, yes, goals is very important and that ultimately is what win games. But when you look at, I don't know, tackles, closing down, defending chances, all these things, there's a big, there's a big list of... Um, I think about 15 or 20 different categories um, of, of things that happen in a football match. And Leeds United were number one in all of them last season in the championship. In every, every single facet of the game. They, they put in more tackles, they ran further, they put in more effort. And that is down to the manager because that's just how he has them and they just have them running all the time and they're just super fit and that's that's that I mean you saw it in the Newcastle game at the weekend uh, at the weekend earlier earlier this week where um, I think it was the, the the fifth goal that Leeds scored but you just look at the Newcastle players they were absolutely knackered they just mm. couldn't keep up and that's how we and now some teams do set up Leicester being one that you know really did a job on Leeds it'll be interesting to see how Man United cope with it um, coming yeah. up but um, but it's just a way of playing it's this high press and Jurgen Klopp of course is the manager but I mean the man who designed the, the high press the, the godfather of the high press is Marcelo Bielsa he did it first <laughs> And um, yeah, he's... his ability to sit on a uh, on a water cooler box as well. Hey, I think that, and that I mean, and that, that deserves a nomination standing. just just for it, doesn't it? You know, just <laughs> and and the other the thing about Going Bielsa, to Sainsbury's in his tracksuit. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I mean, if you're in Weatherby, I used to live in Weatherby, and it's a shame I don't now. But in in that respect, that he's uh, he, he you can you can find him in Costa in Weatherby. Uh, you can find him in in Morrison's. Uh, <laughs> you know, the fish and chip shop. Even he uh, is a regular visitor, so he's he's a big uh, a big figure around the uh, about around the Weatherby area. He walks everywhere. And I just loved how Leeds were knocking these goals in the other day and he's just sat there on his bucket just sipping on his coffee. <laughs> just super cool. Marcelo Bielsa shortlisted for one of the Men's Coach of the Year awards by FIFA. Um, he was in the top three. Jurgen Klopp was the winner. Uh, but in the team of 2020, um, the FIFA End of Year Awards selected four Liverpool players in that 11, including Manchester City's Kevin De Bruyne. Those four Liverpool players, Alisson, the goalkeeper, Trent Alexander-Arnold, the fullback, Virgil van Dijk, the centre-back, and Thiago Alcantara, albeit largely due to his contributions for Bayern Munich before signing for Liverpool, because since he arrived at Anfield, he's been largely injured. So... Let's take Thiago out of the equation just for the sake of this argument, Steve. Um, of those four, De Bruyne, Alisson, Alexander-Arnold and Van Dijk, who's been the best? I mean, there's a 25% chance that you're going to pick a Manchester City player, but I actually think it's a lot slimmer than that. <laughs> I think that for, for the best for me, I think it's it's really difficult. I think it's uh, it's between uh, Virgil and, and Alisson uh, for me, uh, for the Liverpool players, I think. Um when they play, it makes a big difference to Liverpool. And I think, um, you know, Virgil van Dijk, since he was signed on the 1st of January uh, three years ago, has um, he's made a colossal difference to Liverpool, how they play, the span of the team. And Alisson coming in as like almost a final piece of the jigsaw, that defensive unit. Um, again, we're just really, really fortunate to have arguably 
the two best in their position. I mean, I know Manuel Neuer won the goalkeeper award, but I actually think Alisson's better than Neuer. Um, I'm bound to think that, but I did think he was that he was better when he was at Roma as well. Um, but I just think, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably go for Virgil to be fair. And if we have to, you know, obviously we're going to exclude Thiago. We can't deny how good he's been for Bayern and Alexander-Arnold too. But we have to talk about Kevin De Bruyne um, from a Manchester City perspective, Ian. Again, over the last 12 months in a Manchester City side, which arguably has, has underachieved slightly and certainly appears to be the way this season so far under Pep Guardiola, Kevin De Bruyne, as he always is when he plays, has been a, a beacon for them, hasn't he? He's stood out. Yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the consistent force in that um, Man City team. I mean, and as you say, they've been fairly inconsistent uh, up front. But um, but yeah, with, with De Bruyne, they, they've got somebody they can rely on. And not, so, not only somebody that can create chances, but also somebody that can score them as well, which, of course, has to be the important thing in, uh, with, with Manchester City because they are struggling a little bit with who provides the goals. But um, yeah, it must be, it must be uh, nice knowing that you've got him uh, in your team. Um, and uh, yeah just just consistent and that's that's the biggest thing i think in 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 anything i think in sport but um you know consi- being consistent and being reliable it's all right having a worldy one day i mean we talked about pogba before i mean mm. he had a decent match last night but we don't know what he's going to do on saturday yeah you know you know which one's going to turn up whether de bruyne you know what you're going to get you know he's going to put a shift in is he the one player steve um out of the the manchester city crop or the one player perhaps in that fifa best 11 of 2020 that you would take at liverpool Absolutely, without a, without a doubt. Um, I think he'd be a good good player to bring off the bench for us um, on a weekly basis. <laughs> I'm only joking. Sorry, but I don't need any more heat from Man City fans on uh, you know uh, for that. He, he is he's phenomenal. He walks into any team in world football for me. I think you know you, you make room for him if you can. Um, there's there's no doubt about it. And I think um, he is just a player who just gets better as he's got older and as he's kind of spent more seasons. At Man City, his game has just got better and better. Quite unfortunate with injuries. I, f- I feel he, he picks up quite a few muscle injuries, doesn't he? Mm. Um, but I just the absolute quality. And I think, you know, when when you're playing Man City, if if he's on the team sheet, you know you're in for you're in for a rough ride. And he pulls the strings. They, they I think they'd be lost without him. To be fair, I think he's that that bigger impact for for mm. Man City. And, and I think with the injury thing as well, Steve, I can actually possibly in later years of his career see him dropping back slightly deeper because that range of passing and that vision is so good and the ability to whip a pass the way he does is so so good that he could just sit back and drop into a more defensive position as his career slightly uh sort of goes on and then you know operate there and do a good job there too in future i think the big question for kevin de bruyne is to think you know he's he'll want to win the Champions League at some point um, and I just wonder if he's thinking that he's got a big move left in him um, you know if Man City don't do it this season for example he might think actually you know what if if a Real Madrid do come in for me um, you know would he go and have a pop and try and win that and, and add it to his vast haul of medals that he's won at Man City but he is a special talent and he's one of them players that the Premier League is a much better place with, it, with mm. him in it and I think it is criminal what happened to him at Chelsea because he went to Chelsea as a very young man, uh, like Mo Salah did, and they found it quite difficult to adjust to the way of life and, and life under Jose Mourinho. And they've gone out and he went to Wolfsburg, didn't he? And he absolutely smashed it. And then he's come to Man City 
a completely different player and um, Chelsea must be seriously kicking themselves um, about the players that have slipped through the net there and I think uh, big big fan of Kevin De Bruyne I would love him at Liverpool um, and um, I think Man City have, have got arguably the best midfielder of the Premier League era well, Kevin De Bruyne amongst the team of the year for 2020 is selected by FIFA along with Alisson, Alexander-Arnold, Thiago and Virgil van Dijk. Time for another short break here on Football Social Daily. And afterwards, it's the final floodlight focus of the calendar year. 2020 ends with us speaking to Leicester City fan Jamie Derry and the Foxes certainly are flying high. We'll do that next after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Time now for Floodlight Focus. In fact, the very last Floodlight Focus of 2020. And it means that it's Leicester City because that's just the way things have worked out. And joining us to talk all about his beloved Foxes, Jamie Derry is here. How are you doing, Jamie? Hello, you right? Very, very good, mate. All good. Um, I tell you what, what a ride it's been to be a Leicester City fan, not just this season, last season, but all the way back to 2016. And I suppose when you got promoted to the Premier League. So just kind of encapsulate for us what it's been like to support the Foxes over the last five or six years. Um, it's been expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> uh, I've had to go back to Leicester a lot because I actually live in York, so I'm obviously not, not kind of around that area anymore. Um, it's been a roller coaster. Obviously, everyone forgets about the great escape before we won the Premier League, but if that's the reason why, because we won the Premier, then that's absolutely fine. It has been, um, we've been really lucky with injuries over the last five years. Uh, we've got the new uh, training ground coming up as well. I think they're maybe moving into that next week. Um, that's a really nice complex. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been, it has been a roller coaster. but to be honest, I think every other team, if you say, oh, I'm a Leicester fan, they they all say, look at you now, really. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you say roller coaster. I think that's a really good way to describe it because there's the great escape, there was the title win, and of course the, the sad death of, of Kunvichai as well in that accident that happened a couple of years ago. So it has been up and down to be a Leicester City supporter. It hasn't been dulled to say the least. And this season's no different, Jamie. Last year you finished fifth in the Premier League, very, very close to finishing in the top four. Some people at the start of the season when you started like an absolute freight train saying that Leicester are in with a shout for winning the Premier League title didn't transpire that way. But there must be some similar vibes this year after the way you started. There is, yeah. Um, I was quite surprised, to be honest. I, at the end of last season, um, I think even before lockdown happened, probably from about February onwards, our form really dipped. We weren't playing the same football that we were. And luckily, because we had such a good start, we kind of still finished in the top five. Um, the Brendan Rodgers it has improved, and it has improved. He's doing a great job, don't get me wrong. But this year... I do feel like we've been a bit inconsistent. Uh, we've been very inconsistent at home. I think we've lost maybe four out of seven games at home. Um, and obviously that's not something that you look at the beginning of the season and you wouldn't take that to win only four out of seven. And the teams that we've lost against have not been uh, essentially what you call the big boys, if you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, it's just inconsistency. If we can get that sorted, then I'm, I'm pretty confident about the season. And I am surprised how Brendan Rodgers has turned it round because I thought if we carried the form from after, especially kind of post-lockdown into this season, then we could honestly be in a relegation scrap. I know it sounds it sounds weird me saying that now in hindsight, but 
uh, when you watch them week in, week out, then um, and you've yeah. watched them for as many years as I have, you know what, how bad they can be at times. Well, you talk about taking that form on, and I was thinking that only a few weeks ago, to be honest, Jamie, when you had all those injuries and then you think you lost a Europa League game and you lost a couple of league games in a short space of time, you know, and Soyuncu was out and Pereira was out and Ndidi was out and I was thinking, cool, this is looking grim for Leicester here heading into Christmas when there's obviously loads of fixtures packed together. But I mean, you have to give credit to Rodgers and those players that have come in and stepped up to the plate. Some of the young lads like Fofana you've signed has been absolutely awesome. So, you know, you must be proud of the team and the way that they've managed to turn things around and, and stay in with a shout of being in the top for around this festive period yeah absolutely like uh, i think maybe 18 months now we haven't been out of the top five um so that's definitely something and uh, i mean we've still got the injuries our whole original back four i would say i think i did read yesterday um it's been a whole year since we've had our best 11 out uh ricardo Pereira has been out since kind of february uh, we've still got castani out he's looking to come back next game um fafana has been a bit of a really good sign, to be honest. There was a lot of kind of it was a bit of a um, a roller coaster even just to get him. There was a lot of kind of media talk, the media circus, and everything like that, kind of touring him from. We actually signed him off Claude Puel's. Um So irony there, but um, he's been a really good signing. Sign. I mean, what happened? Kind of. I think it was kind of halfway through lockdown last year, maybe during the actual the first kind of lockdown when football wasn't wasn't playing week and week. Um, Dave Rennie, who was the head coach, uh, sorry, a head physio at Leicester, he actually um, left the club. And um, from kind of, I would say, 15, 16 season when we won the, the title, obviously I'm going to mention that, um, I throw it in wherever, um, we've been really lucky with injuries. Since he's left, um, we've had, everyone always talks about like Liverpool's injuries this year and stuff like that, but Again, we have this season had our whole back four out for the whole season, including in Diddy, who obviously protects that back four. So I suppose that is testament to Rodgers and his team and the rotation that they've done and also the kind of scouting that we do. Well, I suppose that leads me on to, to say that do you think you can finish in the top four this season? You say that you haven't been outside of the top five for a long, long period of time, but it got to around this stage last season or just after the new year, I think it was where the form just dipped and obviously coronavirus happened, lockdown came in and it kind of continued after Project Restart and it culminated in that final day game against Manchester United, which unfortunately you couldn't get the win in, um, which dropped you down to fifth. If you can get better results uh, than you did this time last year, is there any reason you can't finish inside the Champions League spots? I think potentially we could. I think that um, obviously with the back four being out, it's not so much the kind of defence for actually not conceding goals, but actually the full-backs, Ricardo Pereira, probably Jamie Vardy would be our best player. We will take him for granted. Not many teams would have a 20-goal striker every season, guaranteed. It's not going to leave. Um, the uh, kind of just, you almost take him for granted because he's been there for a while. So after that, you've mm. got to look at Pereira as probably our best player. Um, I think he's our classiest player. He's our most skillful player. He's our best dribbler. And all, a lot of our attacks come from Pereira. So James Justin's done really mm. well to fill in for him. But you've got Castani and Pereira to come back. You've also got the full-back four. And I think that brings the solidity at the back. So if they all come back, and um, I think that we haven't conceded too many goals while they've been away. However, they bring actually a lot more attacking flair to our team because um, uh, we do actually attack mm. with our full-backs, especially now Rodgers has gone to five at the back. Um, then if they can slip into that, then there's no reason why we can't really. Um, 
we've just got to, yeah, just be a bit consistent at home. And the only thing that worries me really is the fact that I feel if you just come to the King Power and you just sit back, you're going to get a chance and we're not going to be able to create them. And every single team that's come, I think every game we've lost at home, we haven't even scored, which is an appalling record. Yeah. And it's just, if they if people attack us, then we will cut you open. But if you sit back, uh, hopefully you don't play this to everyone because some managers might work it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you sit back, then you'll probably get three points. That's the disappointing part. Yeah, well, obviously a loss midweek against Everton um, and, you know, home form disappointing at the moment, but plenty of games to try and set that right. And the term title contenders is being bandied around by so many teams in the Premier League this season. It's been such a strange start to the campaign. Um, You've been a big fan and a big admirer of what Leicester City have done, Steve. And obviously being a Liverpool fan, you're in pole position at the moment, top of the Premier League table and looking to defend your title. I mean, we talk about Chelsea being title contenders and Manchester City and some even say Manchester United now title contenders and Tottenham too. Um, we do mention Leicester. Do they have a real strong shout of, of possibly upsetting the apple cart once again? No, I, I, I don't think Leicester quite have enough to do it, unfortunately. I, I really like Leicester, as you know, and I'm very complimentary about them on, on the podcast. I just think the form... Is is a bit erratic, um, you know. If they get three losses and three wins in the last six, uh, I, I'm not 100. percent But um, I just think when the likes of Everton are, are going, you know, up to Leicester, I, I don't expect the likes of Everton to beat Leicester two 0 at home. You know, um, I think that Leicester should be Leicester a better side than Everton. I think they're a better run football club. Um, I think everyone likes Leicester more than Everton, and um, you know, <laughs> I've got to get that in. Um, I just think that. Um, Leicester have got to address that really but they have had you know Son Chu's obviously come back from injury and then got injured again he's an absolute colossus at the back for them um, they've made some really good signings you know for fans it's, it's unbelievable I think if they can keep hold of him because I think you know the, the Wolves will start um, circling around that play in the next season or two um, and, and obviously they've got the likes of Madison and an evergreen Jamie Vardy and I think um, it's all there for Leicester and I'm just thinking that while you know they're averaging around 1.8 points per game um, across the season at the minute. I think it, it, it's difficult for them to to see them, you know, having a go winning the championship. Come on then, Jamie. Everyone else is saying that you've got a chance of winning the title. Brendan Rodgers has been bullish, but he's been also quite humble at the same time and saying, "Well, look back at 2016. Anything can happen." But from a Fox's perspective, what's the general feeling amongst the fans? Surely you don't think you can do it again, can you? No, I don't think we do. Um... I think a good season for us looks scraping to the top top six. I think, to be honest, with us, Southampton, Everton, potentially West Ham, we are probably yeah fighting for that sixth position. Uh, we are probably the sixth best team in the country, probably the sixth best squad. Um, but we would have taken that a while ago. But I don't think we've got enough to, to kind of challenge for the title. Um, I don't think we've got the, the depth in numbers. Um, but we can go on a run and on a day we can beat anyone. We've put five past City, um, but obviously everyone forgot about that because Villa beat Liverpool. By, uh, <laughs> 7-2 the same weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I I think you're better than them teams you've just mentioned. No, I think Leicester, are, I think they're a better team than Everton. I think they're better than West Ham. I think they're better than Southampton. Um, so I just think there's reasons to be optimistic. I think the target has got to be fourth place. 
uh, you know, if you can kind of, you know, stay in the mix for that and, and, and make sure you get in and forth this season, I think that's massive success for them. Jamie thought they were going to be in a relegation battle last season, <laughs> Steve. Steady on, <laughs> you have finished Champions League now. Um, no, in all seriousness, good to see Leicester going well and I really do hope they finish above Southampton. That will give me great pleasure, I must be honest. Um, Jamie, it's been great to speak to you, mate. Thanks for featuring on Floodlight Focus um, uh, and best of luck. Hopefully you can get down to the King Power soon when everything sorts out and you can get back in the ground. Yeah, thanks very much. Have a good Christmas. Well, that's it for Floodlight Focus for the year. Thanks very much to everyone who's listened to the podcast. Um, Really enjoyed your contributions but don't forget, of course, we're still bringing out episodes right throughout the rest of the festive season. Uh, We will have a preview show tomorrow ahead of the weekend's Premier League action. That will be available shortly after midnight if you're in the UK, perhaps slightly earlier if you are listening overseas. Of course, big games this weekend, Manchester United, Leeds and a couple of other tasty ties to look forward to as well. Uh, But thanks very much to Steve and Ian for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, and you too. All the best and we will have new episodes of the podcast right throughout Christmas, including Christmas Day. Jim Salverson's also got a new sports social podcast out. It's called Football Stories. So if you start for something to listen to, go and check that out because he speaks to some interesting Premier League characters, including former coaches, ex-referees and ex-players too. That's it for today. We'll speak to you again tomorrow here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.